This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to today's episode of Rao Pal Real Vision. Hey everyone, welcome to the, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, summer edition. Um, as you know, I am put Brian Caputo and Peter Cooper, who you can't see, just kind of leave me on my own. There's no Maggie, there's no flunkies, there's nothing. It's just me trying to figure out what the hell to do and how to, the hell to entertain you guys. So what that usually requires is a drink. It's hot as balls here in Cayman right now, so I'm having a tall, cool Campari as opposed to just with soda, I've got orange La Croix, which is fantastic. It gives that like bitterness that you have to have with it. Now, obviously, I know I'm speaking to a lot of Americans who don't understand civilization, but you cannot have a drink without a snack. So today I have almonds from Valencia, again, this time with the salt. It's sea salt, the molden sea salt. Salt matters. Can't just put your usual bloody iodized salt. It's shit. Civilization counts around here. So um, cheers before we start. It's a delicious... Campari. It was actually reminding me dinner last night. I'm out with some friends. And this is, you know, the, that's an aperitivo, right? That's what you have before dinner. It, it, it um, gets your appetite working. You might have a cocktail, some people like a martini or a whiskey sour or whatever it is. But then this is again where civilization falls apart. When you go for dinner, you stop drinking cocktails. That is for tramps. What you do over dinner is you drink a glass of wine. You drink wine, and then you have a digestif after dinner. You cannot simply go through dinner like a friend of mine did last night, drinking, I can't remember. It wasn't a whiskey sour. It was a Manhattan. I'm like, you're a Philistine. You cannot do that with food. You can have a snack with it. It has to be before dinner. Anyway, so we need to teach you guys civilization here um, um, on Real Vision because it's an important part of all of our education in life. Um, Okay, how am I going to try and add any value at all to you today? Well, I'm going to answer your questions um, as ever, and they can be about anything. I can give you travel advice, food, drink, wine, markets, anything. It may be completely terrible advice, so bear that in mind. Uh, quick, my views on markets and where we are. I mean, really is a summer lull right now. Uh, everybody's on bloody holiday. Everybody on Twitter is still in. Um, all the Americans are in Greece and Italy uh, this year. All the Europeans are as ever in Spain, and the rest of the DGENs are in Ibiza. Um, and it's not until I think European kids get back uh, in September, and obviously we're waiting for the Labor Day holiday. So markets are just sloppy. There's nothing really going on. There's no new money around. Everybody's in the Hamptons. All of that kind of stuff is going on. So you have to be patient in summer markets. And usually 
once you start getting through August, September, things start kicking off. The things that I'm looking to kick off are as rates have been decoupling from the market. So I actually got stopped out of my bond trade. Finally, I got out of that bloody pain. It was a terrible position because um, bonds basically decoupled from the business cycle this time around. It's nothing to do with inflation. Um, it's actually to do with liquidity uh, because of how the Fed are, um, sorry, the Treasury are issuing so many new bonds to pay the interest on the on the bonds because rates are so high. They're doing it in the bills market. That's draining the the um, reverse repo, but it's still flowing through into the rest of the bond market and yields have been rising. That whole process has started pushing the banks lower again. So I'm keeping my eye on that. My view has been, and it's not a precondition, but my view has been that we're likely to see um, the banks starting to fall. I'm looking at, for example, I put on Twitter, the um, long-term chart of Citibank looks like the cliff of death, looked like all of the European banks did. Um, I've been looking at Bank of America, doesn't look great. And then the, the regional banking index, uh, the KRE. So that would be a tipping point that would start changing the equation. Um, what else can uncouple markets? Well, the bond yield issue in itself can uncouple markets. But what it's telling me is we're getting closer to more cowbell, that point where the Fed have to go, oh. And that happened last time, if you remember, in December 2018, when suddenly the repo market broke and the Fed was like, we're stopping QE, uh, QT and we're not going to hike anymore. And then they started cutting six, nine months later. We're in that phase, I think. Let's see what Jackson Hole has. You know, Powell still thinks he's Volcker and it's a ridiculously different environment, but that's what, it, that, that's what they want to believe right now. So my guess is that the payback for this is I think they're going to undershoot um, inflation. So I'm strongly of the opinion inflation is well below 2%, maybe even as low as zero by the end of the year. Um, and that's been my call for a while now. Um, and I think core inflation goes to zero um, by summer to this time next year. So I think we've got all of the inflation domino to play out from the GMI business cycle dominoes. Um, we have, I think, a rise of unemployment will come over this period. It, I don't think it's going to be huge because there's some... Uh, um, complications in the labour market as people are leaving the labour market, etc. Um, and so, and I think you know, rents are coming down, all of that stuff. So, what we're likely to see is the Fed going, "Oh my God, sorry, we've undershot," which gives them the cover to cut rates, which they need to do because they cannot pay the interest on the debt at these levels ongoing. They've got about thirteen trillion of debt to roll over plus new issuance. They need to get rates lower. And they need to then monetize the interest payments. That's part of the Everything Code thesis, those of you who have been following along at home. So the Everything Code thesis suggests that Q4 is going to be when this start of action starts happening. And we don't, you know, maybe QT stops, maybe we get a rate cut, maybe we don't, but we start flagging it. And then um, we start to see, I think, a, another leg of the economic slowdown. I think we, we're actually bouncing out uh, the forward-looking indicators of ISM, um, all of this stuff I've been talking about in uh, in um, pro uh, macro on Real Vision. That's where you get all the juicy stuff. So you guys watching this, most of you are pro macro subscribers, so you don't get all of the research that I put together. But we do a lot of stuff, um, and that's suggesting that um, we are going to seeing a sharp economic rebound that was forecasted by liquidity and the GMI Financial Conditions Index. 
it is starting to slow down a bit because of these yields and the dollar stabilizing. Um, and so that suggests that Q1 next year, so we might get a pickup in growth at the end of this year. Now, that won't come into GDP. GDP's lagged. Everything kind of lags in there. So GDP should be weaker in Q4. I know that the Cleveland Fed have this ridiculous like 5.9% number. That'll go away. But um, we should see GDP low, but the forward-looking indicators, stuff like ISM, start to pick up. And then we might get another um, um, slowdown within uh, Q1. But I think at that point, the market is more focused on the cowbell, more stimulus, et cetera. And then we're into the full election year, and the full election year is cowboy cent- cowbell central because then you've got stimulus to try and bribe the voters, rate cuts to bribe the voters, the use of the balance sheet to try and not get the Treasury to uh, uh, to end up with ridiculous debts on their on their um, trying to issue ridiculous amounts of bonds and the market not be able to do it and crowding out the private sector. Sorry, I'm speaking very fast because there's a lot in the everything code and I can't really get it across in a very short thing. Anyway, all to play for Q4 when it gets interesting. Everyone needs to get back from holiday. Um, and then we can see from there. So, wet the whistle. Let's get into some questions. I'm going to randomly pick people. I'm only going to ask questions. I know this is on YouTube and LinkedIn and probably Twitter. I'm only going to ask questions on the Real Vision platform. Um, so, if you are members, pop across to that. Real Vision Daily Briefing is free. You can't actually sign up for Real Vision right now because we've closed the doors on everybody um, while we're just rolling out the new platform. It's an extraordinary new platform that we're building, which should change the game for everybody. The first iteration comes out to members in a couple of weeks' time. And it's based around this magic formula that knowledge times tools times network equals success. So knowledge is the information that you receive. You turn information into knowledge. Then you use the tool set, tools available, whether it's pricing, charting, portfolio tools. That starts getting you towards wisdom, which is when you've got knowledge that you can apply in ways that you understand. And then the final part of the equation is network, which is a multiplier. We've built this incredible network tools so people can connect with each other around the world. We've got these incredible sub-communities within Real Vision, people sharing ideas, getting together in, in real life and digitally. Um, discussing, debating. I mean, it's incredible. Um, so all of that is to come. So we close the doors because we need to deal with onboarding our existing uh, members uh, and get them across the line in cohorts because there's a lot of people to get through on this. I mean, we're going to have bugs and stuff that everybody needs that we haven't got right and all of this. And you'll be shouting me on Twitter to say it's all broken and we need to go through that dance. And eventually we'll get there and you'll realize that this is the start of what we're building. And we've got iteration after iteration, improvement, new features coming on an endless like two-week sprint cycle. So exciting stuff. Right. So questions. Um, actually, Zane Tan, love all the wine and snacks knowledge from Raoul. The civilization, I'm telling you, it's more important. This is why we go to work. We learn to be civilized human beings and have a quality of life. So um, thank you, Zane. I appreciate that. I'm just trying to help you all because I know most most of you are kind of in North America and you don't really have a clue. And the Aussies, I mean, fucking hopeless. So we need to get you up the learning curve. Um, Paul English, what is this? The Food Vision Vision Network? Well, you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. 
You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. Uh, David Kelly, afternoon, Ral. How do you see real yields playing out? Well, real yields are a real issue. They're too damn high. I mean, they're super high right now, and that is going to continue to erode inflation and economic growth going forward. So my view is that countries high in debt cannot run long-term positive real yields and that the trend rate of real yield is probably negative 1%. So I think in the next cycle, we go back to, to trend rates of real yields. And I think that's a, um, that is the only way you can get around an aging population with massive debts. And we see that all over the world. So I think what we're seeing now is an aberration and not the trend. I understand that most people think the opposite, but, you know, hey, it takes two to tango. Um, somebody, Ashish, you're talking about bloody Cheetos and Doritos again. None of that shit. We've warned you all. No Pringles today. Yeah, none of that good. Um, Raoul, ever consider going back to revisit old episodes of The Journeyman? It'd be great to hear your thoughts on the interview with Felix Zulauf from, I, you know, it would be lovely if you can make three of me because I just don't have time. Um, so I just bring Felix back. I don't really get a chance. Uh, Grant Williams and I used to do this on the podcast where we'd go and review some old content. Uh, it is a lovely idea. But sadly, I just I just don't have the time to be able to do it. It'd be fine if I did one interview a week and I didn't have a day job of running all of Real Vision, trying to build a new platform, and then an asset management company and um, um, macro research shop and all of the other things that I do. Um, I would love to. So I'm sorry I can't add the value. Um, okay, sorry. You'll also get used to these where I have the gormless face thread where I'm going, I can't think without my tongue out. So you get the, as I'm trying to read something at the same time. I don't know why I do it. My, my wife says it's endearing. I think she's lying. Um, Raoul, John Kitchener, I'd love to hear your thoughts on City. I don't know, but I've, I've used these very long-term charts of banks since the European crisis in 2012. And... I've called it the cliff of death. And one by one, many of these banks have gone over the cliff of death and that they've needed to be bailed out. Whether it was the Italian banks, the Spanish banks, the German banks, the Swiss banks. And there still seems to be an ongoing rolling thing. It's like the broken banking system globally. And Citibank is one of those. It just looks like that. It never recovered. I mean, it just fell like a stone and then has been trading sideways ever since. And that cliff or that plateau feels like it just wants to jump off that. So I don't really know what, well, we know why. Rates are too high, the yield curve's inverted, uh, the banking system's not fully functioning, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of reasons why not to like banks, but cyclically at this point, they should start to improve once the yield curve improves. Uh, You know, banks aren't always negative. And as soon as we start to get the yield curve steepening and rates coming, then banks tend to do okay. So that's usually fine. 
Um, okay, more questions, more questions. Barry Cormier. So we're back to the food guide. I'm sorry for those of you who want the macro alpha. Sometimes it's the food alpha. What's your favorite restaurant in Grand Cayman? My favorite restaurant in Grand Cayman is Tilly's at Palm Heights, which is an incredible kind of ultra boutique hotel we've got here. Uh, a friend of mine owns it. And the restaurant is 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 fabulous. Um, it is kind of like, and only some people will understand this, but it's like, what would a hotel or a restaurant be if Princess Margaret were in the Caribbean in the 1970s? It's got this kind of vintage, luxury, cool, it's just everything about it is amazing. Even the menu has a bunch of this like, like, um, baked Alaska and uh, like flambéed steak Diane. And, but then there's lots of different, different types of food as well. It's just, it's just a really bloody good place. So I'm there a lot. In fact, I was there on Tuesday night. Um, last night I went to Aria, which is like a Mediterranean, Middle Eastern Spanish. So they do incredible squid ink paella, arroz negro. Um, they do a lovely meze platter with great mutabel, um, hummus and, um, other bits and pieces. So uh, I did that last night with some boys, which was fun. Um, Trillinex macro. Raoul, do you think the bear steepening will last? And will we see 5% on 10-year yields by the winter? Um, listen, there's a risk. There's a risk that, that we do see the final squeeze to 5%, which is the point where the Fed really are forced to do something. So look, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a risk. It's one of the reasons I closed my bond trade out, that painful, terrible, wrong bond trade that I've had for a while. Uh, I finally took off the pain. It's like taking off a Band-Aid. It's so nice. Like, oh, my God, finally, uh, the pain can go away. Um, I did because I've done really, 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 really well in equities, uh, done really well in crypto this year. Um, nailed those and completely fucked up bonds. So uh, when you can get it off your mind, so I don't care about it anymore, it's much better. But um, yes, I think the 5% is possible. Maybe I've had to sacrifice my position to the market gods, which I'm very used to doing, which is when you close out your stop loss at the high, because you have to, because the market gods demand their sacrifice and I shall be that sacrifice. So maybe it's that. We don't know yet. We'll find out. Um, the steepening, well, if it continues to 5%, the steepening will continue, and then we'll get the bull steepening after that. So I think it's all part of the process. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um, okay. Now, the gormless face, as I'm reading again, just remember that. Question about chain link, don't really know. What are your top three trades? John Floyd. Uh, John, my trades... I'm not a trader, really. I think you've probably figured that out by now. My time horizons are very long. So for me, it is number one crypto over my time horizon. Let's just use this business cycle, not even going further out. Let's say over the next, into end of 2025, I think crypto is the best performing asset in the world. I think technology stocks uh, are number two. And number three, tricky. Uh, tricky could be something commodity-related, um, copper. Let's go with copper. Um, so that's what I think. And no, I don't think uh, commodity prices rising in a business cycle are significantly inflationary. I know everybody gets caught up on that. Um, Stuart Hardy, do you think the Fed will be the first to cut 
Or will the clear flakiness in the EU, UK and EU economy allow the Bank of England and ECB to go first? Will the fear of currency devaluation linked to inflation prevent this? It's my thoughtful drink. I don't know. The Fed are usually faster off the trigger, to be honest. The Bank of England might do. Um, I mean, their economies are fucking shit show um but they've got very high inflation as well so it's it's tricky um even though inflation really most of this is mathematical the uk has a problem because of brexit they created their own bed and then bed of nails and now they're lying in it and they really what happened to us really everybody told you uh, but you wouldn't listen so um I don't know who's going to go first, really. It's a good question. I don't think it really matters because bond markets are so correlated, so they all kind of price at the same time um, the trade um, and the next trade, the big trade, right? Even if rates go up to 5%, um, that's 10-year bonds. So let's say even they, the, the Fed get to another hike in, five and a half, five and three quarters. Okay, that's like 50 basis points from here. The downside is 1%. So the risk reward is so tilted towards getting the bond trade right. And you're all free to do it now. Now I've been stopped out. You can make all the money in the world um, because I've sacrificed for you at the altar of the market gods. Just so you're aware, I'm just that was my kindness to you, okay? Um, Zane Tan. Zane, second question. Well, no, first question was a compliment, which is why you get the second one. Compliment me, I'm more than happy to help. Um, Hey, Ralph, in the Everything Code, you mentioned crypto and tech stocks are great insurance to generate great returns. For lay people, how would you describe what crypto is and why they should explore it as an investment? Crypto is just a technology. It is um, a distributed database, which is blockchain, of which you can you use a token to represent value on that chain. So unlike other networks, let's say a tele- telco network, you can't own a share of the telco network um, while you can with a token, which gives you a share of the network itself. It kind of enhances Metcalfe's law. Blockchain solves some huge problems, which is um, how to have, I guess the Byzantine general's problem is at a larger level. But really, for me, it's a very simple thing is, is in an increasingly digital world, we need to transfer, record, store value and value is increasingly becoming digital and in the digital world we can make anything to infinite abundance and so everything digitally goes to zero in value and blockchain allows you to create scarcity in a digital world um, also the ability to have digital integration of of contracts and value in in a whole bunch of different ways allows payment systems securitization, tokenization, um, speculation. Um, I mean, it's just it's so vast. So basically, extrapolate all that way, it's technology you can participate in directly. AI, you have to buy NVIDIA. That's the only bloody thing you can do. Bit of Microsoft, bit of stuff, but you're buying trillion-dollar companies. You know, how much money are you going to make? 2x, 3x, maybe? You know, can Tesla go up 5x, 6x, 8x? Yeah, sure. Crypto cycles, they can be much, much bigger because you're actually owning the network itself. It's like if you owned a share of the NVIDIA, all of the AI 
networks themselves and the monetization of that entire ecosystem. So that's why it's so powerful. So it tends to outperform the other technology stuff. So thank you for that question. Uh, I'm sure it was a terrible answer, but I tried. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners, and then we'll be right back. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Dominic Santa Cruze, or Santa Cruz, after a phenomenal NVIDIA earnings call, are you even more bullish on the stock? Should we expect much of a pullback beyond today's drawdown? Thank you. Um, I am a bit of a moron, so I don't tend to do a lot of single stocky stuff. I, I've got SMH instead of NVIDIA. Um, I have no idea. We've all been through bubble cycles. This will end up being a bubble cycle. I don't think we've even started yet. Um, there'll be periods where it'll consolidate. Over time, will this be much higher by 2025, by the end of this cycle, for sure? That's kind of how I think about it. So um, will other will other um, semiconductor companies, chip manufacturers, everybody else catch up? Possibly as well. Um, okay. Time for a snack. Bo Nito. I don't know how many questions there are. Fucking shit. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I swear a lot. I apologize. I don't have children. I can do what I want. And my wife's from New Jersey. She swears more than me. Um, Raul, with China, Germany, and rest of Europe, what do you see as the chance of contagion for the rest? To me, the market's like the guy who buys the, a gal, drinks all night, last call, buys her another, and then there's no idea her plan is to leave in 15 minutes. Don't quite understand. You're probably not very good chatting to girls. That's probably what I get from that. But let's move that aside, Bo. Um, contagion of China. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing it. It's slowing things down. It can slow down commodity prices. It'll slow down the global economy because you're not firing all, all cylinders yet. I think this contagion... I think people still expect there to be this catastrophic contagion event of 2008 because that's what you remember. Don't forget, they invented the magic bullet. It's called debasement. You just print money and optically everything goes up in value so none of the collateral can go bust. Uh, nobody really gets their head around this yet. So China's slow. Will it have a banking system crisis? No, because it can print money and it will do. It's got a closed economic system. Um, so it's just a matter of how much pain they want to take uh, and whatever their outcomes are. So yes, it has contagion, but not in a catastrophic, oh my God, the world's going to die contagion, more in terms of, well, that's slow down growth and oh shit, oil's gone down, back down to 50 bucks or whatever it is, right? There's stuff like that. It tends to be a very deflationary situation when China's de devaluing its currency because it needs to. It stops buying as much commodities because its economy's slow. Um, and then it can sell goods at cheaper prices on the world stage, and it competes for on the world stage for for other goods. So even if you don't import directly from China because you want to penalise them for being nasty people, uh, the world's good prices reshuffle, and so it's, it tends to be very deflationary. Um, Oliver M. Infidia debt round trip on earnings. 
negative after hours, ouch. Um, yeah, I just don't look at this stuff, really. I looked at it and thought, oh, wow, massive earnings. I don't, again, I don't trade. So I just think I've never met, that's a lie. Well, I've never met a rich day trader. And I know very few professional short-term traders who've made a lot of money. Um, I've made a, I know a lot of morons who just bought and hold and made a shit ton of money. Um, so I, I just think be the moron sometimes. It's, it's a lot easier. I know it's intellectually fun and challenging to trade, but it, I think most of the time, most people's returns are suboptimal doing it. And I've kind of proven that to myself over the years. Um, oh, here we go. Always, I can't wait for the apocalypse questions. We're waiting for them. Christopher, you've got it today. Christopher Caraviejo, Trillion X, buying Chinese crude, uh, Chinese buying crude hand over fist despite weak economy, stockpiling for war. The amount of times I've been told they're going to buy Taiwan, it's going to be April um, this year, or it's going to be September, and definitely, we all know we've picked it up on the geopolitical radar. Nobody knows, and maybe they never will. But I just the, the market is gripped by this narrative that people love the apocalypse narrative. And it's, it's so alluring. It's so alluring. Uh, just stay away from them. I found that they never work. Um, Daniel McGrath, does everything does the everything code thesis allow for the US Fed to keep rates high and buy more treasuries? Well, if rates are high, then they have to buy a lot more treasuries. And what you're basically doing is some sort of yield curve control, because if not, the 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 yields, the bond issuance goes vertical, the yields go vertical. Um, so I think everybody understands, and they certainly understand that this is not what they want to do. So your answer is yield curve control or to cut rates to manufacture a recession or an overshoot in inflation, um, and then they can cut rates. Uh, Jeff Welsh. Hey, Jeff. Sorry, rude. I'm chewing while I'm talking. How is the Visionary Club connected to the communications capability of the 2.0 platform? What is it? Well, the Visionary Club doesn't exist yet. That's the Web3 group. The RVIP Club is the first, and they will have a private chat to start with. We haven't got the full kind of Slack-style, Discord-style integration yet. We'll see what you guys want. There's the ability to see each other. You'll be badged. Everyone can see that you're uh, RVIP members. You'll be able to connect with each other. You'll be able to see, see who each other is. That's the start. So it's kind of cool. And you see this kind of map of the world moving. You'll see where all the members are. You'll be able to see who they are. And over time, we will upgrade the ability to put deeper bios, kind of LinkedIn-style bios, um, you know, more human than LinkedIn, because it's weird. Um, that kind of stuff, so you can really connect with each other and find each other and do stuff. Um, Doug McKern. Um, Raoul, the dollar seems overbought right now. Which direction do you see the dollar going for the next two months? Doug, generally speaking, as you know, it's not really my time horizon. Um, the time horizon for the everything code in the business cycle is the dollar should be weakening over time. Um, and it should continue quite a period of time, maybe to the back end of 2024. My target on DXY is about 90. However, we've got the um, the weakness of the yen 
and the RMB offsetting it. You know, my target for the yen for the last seven years has been 200. Um, everyone thought I was crazy when I said, yeah, we'll get to 150 very soon. Here we are. Um, so it depends what the Japanese do at some point there. Um, but generally speaking, I, the dollar should should go lower over this point in the cycle. Um, Domal Heron. Hey, Raoul. Andreas has left shore inflation dropping below 2%. What do you see differently? Look, we've all got different views on all of this. Um, a lot of people think that the increase in commodity prices year on year, because they bottomed, um, is going to cause a pickup in inflation. I think commodities are 19% of CPI. The rest is driven by the longer-term secular stuff um, and food prices and other stuff. And all of that looks like it's going to deflate. I do think that we get typically, in fact, I've probably got a chart of the 1940s inflation. Um, okay, so here's the average inflation. This is what I'm, I'm expecting to see. Let me share a screen. Um, okay, this is CPI versus the average of the major five major outbursts of inflation from the 1940s to 80s. So this is when inflation gets big, what happens? I mean, this is a very ordinary episode. I know all of the narrative and the screaming and shouting. It's the 1970s over again. It's this, it's that. It's just very, very ordinary. Um, it goes up, goes down. You get to the point where it looks like you're going to bounce. And I think, you know, can we get inflation stabilizing for a couple of months, two or three months, um, somewhere around here? Maybe. I think it probably goes lower first. Stabilizes somewhere around the two and a half percent level before it drops off a cliff towards the end of the year and in, into next year. So I'll stop sharing that screen. That screen. I'll show you another one as well, um, just because I can, and uh, I like charts. Um, this is a chart of the 1940s inflation because Larry Summers today, like fucking tail end Charlie, the last person in the world to go showing that 1970s chart that I've been rebelling against because. It's the only instance of inflation increasing in that manner. Um, and everyone's like, oh, my God, the next thing's going to happen is inflation's going to go to the moon. And when you ask them why, nobody's got a reason. It's just because it's actually a political bias and a um, monetarism versus, um, you know, other ways of looking at the world bias. But anyway, we won't bore ourselves with stuff like that. Here's um, CPI year on year. In the 1940s episode, which is very similar, we had the reopening of the global economy after the World War II. Inflation spiked massively, then it came down again. It came down and went negative. This is what my expectation is as well. See, we've had that bounce period as well. Same kind of time. Should we see a little bounce in inflation here? Could it go a little bit above 3%? We're kind of undershooting most of these inflation ones right now. And then it will collapse uh, ongoing. And then eventually you get the next inflation cycle, which is just the normal business cycle. And inflation is half of what it was um, at peak cycle, which would be pretty ordinary to me. So I just think it's all very ordinary. Uh, we just had a larger inflation spike than normal because of a pandemic, which was a larger event than normal. Uh, just nothing more than that. Okay, more questions. We're now in extra time. You're getting extra value from me today. i just like you to appreciate it because I've still got a little Campari left. So... Uh, Paul Harwood, gormless face NFT coming soon. There you go, Elaine can grab that. Um, 
John Kapustiak. Can you help me reconcile your forward-looking indicators that seem to demonstrate there's an economic recovery on the horizon and that is not the type of environment that would allow the Fed to resume QE? Uh, because the forward-looking indicators are forward-looking and the backward-looking stuff is the heavy inflation stuff. If you've seen Julian Bittle's presentation on the... Again, if you're not Real Vision Pro macro uh, members, you're kind of missing out on all the analysis. So you're trying to get snippets of actually the actual work or a global macro investor are around 130 pages plus every month on this kind of stuff. So it's a lot of deep work. Essentially, the forward-looking indicators are leading by about nine months. ISM is today. The Fed live about six months behind that, which is CPI. And then behind that is rent, wage inflation, um, and the really laggy elements. So you can have economic recovery like we do out of every recession. Now, whether we get to this recession, I still think there is a recession. I think it just plays out over a bit of time. Always CPI, unemployment, everything stays sticky for longer, which is when they cut, 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 cut all the way through the back end. So it's super normal. The GMI inflation dominoes. Um, Ralph, Michael Jordan sometimes had his tongue out before he dunked. Yeah, but he was good at what he does. I'm not. Um, Bernd Müller. Hey, Bernd, that's a very good German name. Or you could be Swiss, I don't know. Um, your basic tenet is everything is driven by liquidity. What's the current global liquidity situation? The Our GMI Global Weekly Liquidity Index is flat. It's been flat for a while. The Japanese may end up doing a bit of QE, um, yield curve control too soon. That'll pick it up. Generally, it's been flat um, and markets have exceeded the liquidity exactly as they did after 2018, particularly stuff like NASDAQ, because these are in secular uptrends. So you take the beach ball. I've mentioned this, I think, every time I've done this, these live ones. You take your foot off the beach ball underwater and it bursts through. Then eventually you get the wind coming up underneath it, which is quantitative easing. So, um, so yeah, liquidity is pretty flat. Um, nothing very exciting. Okay, let's move down because I'm probably going too slow. You're all chatting with each other, which which is great. It saves me the time, and you're actually probably smarter than I am. Um, Raoul, what's your favourite cup of noodles flavour for a cup of noodles flavour for us poor folk? I liked. My student noodle go-to was the curry one. Uh, we had um, cup of noodle, cup, cup of noodle, cup of noodle, yeah, cup of noodle. It was the curry one because I'm half Indian and it came with a, some pickle or chutney to put in it. So I would go for that. Um, I do like a bit of ramen and noodles, although most of the time I eat a ketogenic diet. So I only get that from time to time. Okay, we're going to stop wrapping up. So I'm just going to randomly. Um, MG, what changed your thesis on Bitcoin? Um, not enough use cases in and above the store of value. And Ethereum had more use cases with a lot more development applications on top. So according to Metcalfe's law, which values a network, it's more likely to have increased network value over time than Bitcoin did. And the chart looked good, the ETH Bitcoin cross. And I like the Solana ETH cross and the Solana Bitcoin cross. I think they all end up playing out. Uh, Brian Clark, did you get your listen motherfucker NFT in the end? No, I didn't. I've not had any chance. I need to sit down with my ledger because I, 
I don't have it in all the time. It stops myself degening. And I don't do it in my MetaMask, so I need to sit down, spend the time to do it. So I have not. So I will go into the secondary market and buy the Real Vision legendary NFTs. Um, Philip Trieste, will we ever get a, a buying opportunity into India? I, do we get, ever get a decent-sized correction? No, it never seems to happen. You've got too young a demographic. Everything seems to work over time. But I have become much less diversified in portfolios. Because I think everything is driven by the same thesis right now, which is global liquidity, debt, demographics, debt. And you end up with two assets that outperform everything and one asset more than others. I'm like, everything, if I buy anything else outside of te technology or crypto, it's actually a relative destruction of capital. So I just, I, I don't do it. So, you know, I can give the advice, yes, I love India, you should be buying India. I'm not going to buy it because I'm at the point where I think this is the clear macro setup and I want the maximum focus in the trade that I'm doing with the least distraction. It's one of the reasons I was happy to get rid of the bond trade. Just I don't want the distraction. I want the two bets, technology, crypto, with crypto being vastly larger. And so I can focus because you know I can get stuff wrong too. We all know that. So I, you know, I just want to focus on what I'm doing, filter out the noise, keep my time horizon right. Uh, Robert O'Neill, good morning. Negative one degrees and foggy, 6 a.m. here in Canberra. Thank you for joining us at 6 a.m. And I'm sorry it's winter for you, but uh, it's never winter here in the Cayman Islands, by the way, just so you know. Um, we have our temperature goes from what? About, we, if we speak in, in global temperatures as opposed to freedom speak, the American scale that nobody uses. It's generally like 28, 28 to 34 here. Um, not much not much more, so it's not that bearable. Um, so for others who only speak freedom scale, we're talking about 85 to 92, um, something around that. Um, and um, But it just gets the humidity ratchets up and the sun feels like an anvil at this time of year. Um, I'll save the wine drinking tonight. Riesling for you, yeah. Riesling, crispy, Aussie, or Kiwi Riesling. Aussie Riesling, they're, they're good wines. Um, okay. Okay, last question. I'm just going to randomly go for one. And it's going to be... Valpreet. Valpreet Gruel. Why does it take longer for fixed supply scarce assets, equity houses, to adjust in value to monetary inflation? money printing than Bitcoin. Some things lead, some things lag. House prices take time to clear or move or readjust because you get you don't get often marked to market. Um, equities in crypto are not wildly dissimilar. Leads lags and most of the space bottomed in October. Uh, equities, tech equities and Bitcoin and a lot of the space. ETH was a bit earlier. Um, so they're, they're liquid instruments, they're forward-looking. People kind of, I think, the market understands the debasement thing, whether it's impl probably implicitly as opposed to explicitly. Um, and because of the nature of the liquidity and how fast these assets move, it tends to do that. Um, Ralph Humphrey, how will global forming, uh, warming affect Cayman? Well, if you see the water rising in my house, then you know. Um, it's actually... Uh, 
we monitor the coral reefs a lot. We get coral bleaching. Um, issues with fish populations can change. Um, beaches, we lost some of the beach here in Grand Cayman. Um, but uh, no, glo global warming's a hoax, kids. Um, okay, gang, great to see you. Have the great last week of the summer. Can you come back to work and actually put some money into the markets because we're a bit fucking bored of this? Uh, but I appreciate seeing you all. I hope you don't mind my filthy potty mouth, um, but I enjoy it just for the fun of it. Take care, everyone. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.